Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists, and food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This show brings you fresh ingredients, recipes, and kitchen wisdom from celebrity chefs, authors, and culinary experts. Because I love food, don't you? I love eating it and looking at it, reading and writing about it, creating it, sharing it, and talking about it, especially here on the radio. So if you love to cook or love to eat, well, then this is your show. You can gain culinary intelligence right here and right now because we are savoring the flavor and we are living the best life. I'm all about the best dishes, and of course, health, wellness, travel, tech, lifestyle, and more. So I hope you will feed your insatiable appetite by tuning in. You'll also want to check out chefjamie.com for continued inspiration and recipes galore. And I hope that you'll become a fan and a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. We are inspiring extraordinary dishes today, and it's my goal to bring you cutting-edge trends and new flavors. And I hope that the conversation inspires, enlightens, and encourages you to try new tastes. So I thought I would hopefully wax poetic and dish today on tahini to bring new insight into the beautiful white sauce that is so versatile and, by the way, gaining great popularity uh, in the States uh, and around the world of late. Now, Israelis will tell you that tahini is to Israel what ketchup is to America, but it's white. It's not new. Rather, tahini has been around for thousands of years, but there's something about the Middle Eastern spread, a paste that is made from ground toasted sesame seeds, that is driving award-winning chefs across the country tahini crazy. I like to have my finger on the pulse of consumer trends so that I can keep you the culinary hero that you are, and so that you are hopefully uh, trying new dishes and experimenting with new flavors. And if you haven't played with or cooked with or fallen in love with tahini lately, well, then this is a love letter to the sesame paste. Tahini is the paste made from ground sesame seeds, and it is being used in both sweet and savory dishes more progressively than ever before. And I will say one of its beautiful benefits, aside from its extraordinary texture, its really bright, luscious, rich complexity of flavor, is that it's packed with essential vitamins and minerals. Now, there are two types of tahini. There is hulled tahini and unhulled tahini. And unhulled tahini is best because it's made from the whole sesame seed, which leaves its nutritional value intact. And if you can find a jar of tahini that is actually labeled unhulled, buy it because you will get the biggest benefit. But if you find a jar that doesn't have a label or it happens to say hold, it still deserves your delectable recipes. Now, there 
there are a ton of health benefits to tahini. It's rich in minerals like lecithin and phosphorus and magnesium and potassium and iron. It's one of the best sources of calcium that you can actually ingest. It's high in vitamin E and vitamins B1, B2, and B3. It is said to prevent anemia. It helps to maintain healthy skin and muscle tone. It has 20% complete protein, which actually makes it a higher protein source than most nuts. And it's easy for your body to digest because it has a very high alkaline mineral content, which by the way, is great for assisting in weight loss. And it is high in unsaturated fat, which is the good fat. So it has a lot going for it. Now, The sesame paste that comes in a jar, also known as tahini, is becoming more easily accessible at conventional grocery stores. It is having a serious moment in the food world. And while it's most commonly associated with hummus, there is way more to tahini that you need to know. Homemade tahini, by the way, you can make it yourself. It requires a very powerful blender and a lot of patience, but I think it's simpler and equally delicious when purchased store-bought. So take the easy route and buy a jar. I thought I would inspire you or aspire to inspire you to play with tahini in your cooking. So here are my best delectable ideas for how chefs are playing with sesame paste in their kitchens and why you should too. So you can use it to sweeten. Tahini adds earthiness, especially to desserts, most commonly in halava, you know, the crumbly Middle Eastern confection. But you can also make the easiest two-ingredient vegan truffles by mixing a cup of melted dark chocolate with a cup of tahini. Then you refrigerate the mixture after you've blended well, and then you cut or roll it into rich, nutty, yummy sesame chocolate truffles. Sounds delicious, right? Now, of course, you can use tahini as a spread because hummus would be lost without its right-hand man. Uh, Tahini is what gives hummus its rich, creamy texture and addictive flavor. And I love it in baba ganoush or the smoky eggplant dip that you know in the Lebanese restaurants. Now, you'll find it on falafel, of course, um, but some love it so much they've been known to spread a toasted piece of bread with a thick coat of tahini and drizzle it with honey. And I can tell you firsthand, trust me, It's really good. Now, you can use it in place of yogurt for a thick, nutritious smoothie. Uh, You can use it as a substitute for almond or peanut butter as well. And then if you want to make a pull out all the stops, totally wow your guests, friends and family dish, it is just this simple. Because earthy tahini and roasted sweet potatoes, they are a match, a pairing made in heaven. Other vegetables are getting some tahini treatment as well. In fact, on a recent trip in New York, I saw cauliflower and Brussels sprouts that were richly roasted with a little bit of char and dressed with a tahini vinaigrette. Outrageous. But again, roast some sweet potato cubes, season well with olive oil, salt, and pepper until they're tender and golden and caramelized and delicious, and then toss them with some earthy tahini and you will be a culinary hero, mark my word. If you'd like more tahini inspiration, check out chefjamie.com or email me direct, jamie at chefjamie.com because I'd love to dish with you on sesame paste. And then, of course, in food news, because food lovers should be in the know, I am here to brighten your Sunday. 
Did you know that M&M's have introduced three new flavors? That's right. In celebration of the 75th anniversary of M&M's, the company has announced that three new peanut M&M flavors are to be released. Coffee Nut, Honey Nut, and Chili Nut. And you should be able to find each flavor in stores nationwide tomorrow. But only one of them will stay for good, depending upon how you, the M&M lover, reacts. So you can vote for your favorite flavor of the new M&M peanut flavors, coffee nut, honey nut, or chili nut online. Or you can text the word vote to 87654. So which one are you most excited to try? I think I'm in for the coffee nut peanut M&M. Yeah, send a bag over, would ya? And then, of course, do not touch your dial because there is so much more scrumptious conversation in your radio. I plan to fill your plate because Patty Jinich, the PBS host and cooking teacher, whom we love, is stopping by next. She's highlighting her new cookbook called Mexican Today, and oh, you're going to love it. Also, Vic Rallo will be here. He's sharing Italian love and his best spring pasta recipes. And we're foraging for our feasts before the end of the hour. There is a gentleman, a forager named Pascal Bodar, who is making waves with the culinary community in Los Angeles. Yes, he picks barks and leaves and even insects and will teach you how to make wild crafted cuisine. So stay tuned because food is life and you should create and savor yours. This is your culinary playground and there's more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, teaching you all the right moves from my kitchen and the kitchens of great chefs to yours. Patty Jinich is the host of the popular Emmy Award-nominated PBS show, Patty's Mexican Table, going on its fifth season, and the resident chef of the Mexican Cultural Institute in Washington, D.C. She hosts live programs for the Smithsonian Institution and has cooked at the White House for President Obama's Cinco de Mayo celebration. Too cool, right? And her second cookbook has just released, and it is full of fun and bright and flavorful recipes that highlight the food of Mexico and Patty's glorious upbringing seeped richly in the Mexican culture. Patty Jinich is back to dish to highlight her beautiful book, and I am so glad to have you. Hi, Patty. Hey, Jamie. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. So well, good to hear your voice. Of course. I'm very glad you're back, and congratulations on the book. It's beautiful, and I love the new ideas and the inspiration. And I, I really love that you're you're still steeped in your roots, but that you've brought in a very elevated approach to your cooking. Thank you so much. I think you hit the nail on the spot, or mm -hmm. as they say on the head, yes. Jamie, because I feel like I'm very connected to Mexican cuisine, the ingredients, the techniques, the traditional 
recipes that for one good reason and many more reasons continue to be passed down. But I, in this cookbook, I feel like I've taken off my handcuffs and Mm. I'm just playing with ingredients and I feel much more confident of my own takes in the kitchen. And I see how chefs and cooks south of the border are becoming much more playful. Yes. And so, because I used to feel like I needed to do very traditional just because I was outside of my native country, but I've, I've gone loose. I think it's wonderful that you've gone loose. And I think that there's a beautiful segue, a, a wonderful connection between your Mexican upbringing and then living uh, here in the States, per se, I mean, in Texas, right? And then having sort of infused the American culture and ingredients into the Mexican style of cooking. And I love the indigenous ingredients that you use, but you use them in a very unique way. Like, I think my favorite recipe in the book, in flipping through this uh, pre-release copy, by the way, Patty Janich's new cookbook entitled Mexican Today releases in just two days on Tuesday. So you'll want to pre-order your copy. Uh, But I found the hearts of palm soup with the sweet potato croutons, Patty, and I got so excited. I love hearts of palm. I am so happy that you touched on that recipe because that is my favorite soup of the entire book. You can make it in, I kid you not, 14 minutes. Perfect. And I mean, it's so easy to make, and I think it's simple. It has four or five ingredients to make the base of the soup, and the hearts of palm are an ingredient that are such a phenomenal, beautiful, unique, and precious ingredient that tends to be overseen just because in many salad bars, people Mm. just leave them there drying out. But when you think about how they come to be, they truly are the heart of a tiny palm. And they are so delicious. They're lemony, they're tangy, their color is exquisite, their texture is so silky. And so I love finding the magic in things that are right in front of us. Oh, and I think you just hit the nail on the head. I have never used a heart of palm in any other preparation, but like simply in a salad or to snack on. So to puree them with that texture, like you said, and the silkiness, I can't wait. And and I love that you take that Mexican approach with the ingredients to a new level. Um, Talk to us about other secrets to great Mexican food at home, like a traditional tortilla soup, elevated. Yes. Yes. So, for example, the tortilla soup that I have in the cookbook, I season it with chipotles in adobo sauce, and I roast or char the tomatoes. So Mm. by by doing that to the tomatoes, you are really bringing the rustic out, the deep flavors and the inner personality of tomatoes, so to speak. You're enriching the tomato and then the chipotles in adobo. Everybody knows them now. They should be a a common condiment in every pantry. They're sweet, they're smoky. And then it's just, you know, a very simple but incredibly tasty broth. And then you have a party because you garnish it with (laughs) diced buttery avocados Mm. and crisp tortilla chips. And the tortilla chips, you can fry them, but you can also bake them. I mean, there's just so many ways to Mexican today. It's very true. And you've made me hungry just looking at the picture. (laughs) I must lick the page in the book of the soup itself. I love the idea of crumbled chicharron as a garnish as well. 
Oh my God! Because it is so crisp and yes. crunchy, oh, and, and they're so slow yum. to get wet, and mm. they start transforming to to becoming chewy. And I love chewy. I do too. And I'm a queso fresco fan as well, Patty. And I wanted to talk cheese with you because I think Mexican cheeses are gaining popularity in a multitude of recipes yes. because their flavor and their texture is so unique, so salty, so tangy that yes. it really applies to more than just Mexican cuisine. So you use um, queso fresco. You could substitute farmer's cheese. Talk to us a bit about Mexican cheeses. Yes. And I think it's one of the topics that is really revealing in that it shows you that Mexican ingredients are much more wholesome and low-fat and richer than you would think. I mean, there's no cheddar cheese. The queso fresco and the queso Oaxaca and the queso cotija, they're all very low-fat cheeses that are very noble because you can dice them and they will hold their shape. You can grate them. You can crumble them. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are really, really versatile. And as you say, they're slightly tangy. They're teasingly salty. So they're cheeses with a lot of personality that will dress and garnish but will not overpower your dishes. I have to tell you, I've begun using the crumbled cotija in place of feta cheese because I love the dryness of it. Yeah. And because it lasts forever in the fridge, and I find forever. myself forever, I find myself using it to add that sort of bright acidity, like we would use citrus to finish a dish, and it really adds not only that flavor profile but the textural component, and I love it. I agree, and we've just simply boiled vegetables like potatoes or corn, Ooh, nice. or if you just grate some queso cotija on top, you're adding that salty element without adding salt, salt. you know? Really smart. Okay, yeah. let's talk very vegetarian, even vegan for a moment, because <laughs> I am not either, uh, but I would very happily sit down to a plantain taco with walnut pepita and sunflower <laughs> seed crunch. <laughs> so, you know, it's very funny because I am not a vegetarian or a vegan either, but, you know, unbeknownst to me, Mexican cooking has a ton of of vegetarian and vegan dishes that are naturally such. Yes. I have a sister who is a strict vegan, and I'll tell you, in her kitchen, I eat like in no other. Hmm. When I was coming up with, you know, recipes for this book, and I really wanted to include a lot of vegetarian and vegan, that was a taco I was playing with in my kitchen when my mom came to visit from Mexico City, hmm. and turns out that little by little, you know, playing with we want some savory, we want some salty, you have the very earthy refried beans, and then the plantain, which is so sweet and it becomes caramelized, just baked in the oven, and then we wanted something crunchy, so we added all those seeds with, you know, the sauteed scallion and jalapeno, and by the end, we were crazy for that taco. Oh, my and so I had so felt good. that I needed to incorporate, you know, to include a vegetarian taco. And of in course. the end, I think it's my favorite taco of the entire book. I thank you for sharing your passion so beautifully for expressing your love of Mexican cuisine, but making it so very doable for home cooks. I think that is no doubt the... Uh, the credit to the success of your PBS television series, 
to your continued cookbook success as well. When Patty Jinich cooks, everyone smiles. This is food that will make you happy, no doubt. The author of the new book, just set to release, called Mexican Today, the follow-up cookbook to Patty's first called The Mexican Table. You must add these recipes for new and discovered ideas of Mexican cuisine and culture to your contemporary kitchen. The book is beautiful. Patty, congratulations. And come back, please. We'll find more recipes seasonally inspired, and we'll keep cooking with cactus, and then we'll catch up again this summer. I'd love to know what you're cooking. Fabulous, Jamie. It'll be my pleasure. <laughs> Thank you so much. As the delicious conversation continues, you heard it here. Mexican Today, Patty Jenich, the new book release, and more fabulous food in your radio right after this, so don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. If you have a taste for life, well, then this is your show, and you should get ready to manja, because Vic Rallo is here. Vic is the owner of Biravino, a trattoria, and Undici Taverna Rustica, both in New Jersey, offering traditional rustic Italian dishes, and he's a noted expert on Italian wine. His TV series, which is so much fun to watch, called Eat, Drink, Italy, appears on Create TV, and it highlights wonderful ways to combine the Italian food culture with a toast to the beautiful Italian grapes. He's here to dish today on gnocchi and his favorite pasta dish and to bring some new Italian inspiration to your spring menus. And I'm so glad to have you. Hi, Vic. Hello, how are you? I'm <laughs> doing well, and you? I'm doing perfect here in New Jersey. If yes. it would get a little warmer, I'd be better, but uh, <laughs> we're okay. Yeah, but see, this is the beautiful time of year where you segue from, like, the hearty bolognese to the lighter primavera, right? Well, Jamie, listen, I eat, drink Italy, so I don't segue very much. <laughs> it's I true. I continually eat and drink whatever's in front of me, so You're yes, my kind some of guy. people do, but Vic Rallo doesn't do it. It's a hard <laughs> job, but someone has to do it. Yes, of course. Okay, but, but let's try to put ourselves in the spring mindset, if you would. Okay, um, And sure. let's start uh, by toasting. Uh, let's have a glass of wine together. If you would, highlight your favorite Italian wine pairings um, for our virtual toast here when it comes to Italian wines for spring. The color of wine in Italy in the spring and into the summer is pink. Mm-hmm. And... You know, clearly pink wines are making a comeback in the United States, but really throughout the Mediterranean, they're very, very popular. And from 7 a.m. in the morning to 7 p.m. when it's daylight out, people drink rosé or rosato throughout the Mediterranean. And I think those pink wines are uh, really fantastic, and they're not your your mother or your grandmother's white Zinfandel that people think of when they think of pink wine. These are wines made by premier producers throughout Italy mm-hmm. um, making, you know, wines that are pink. And understanding that the inside 
of all grapes or most grapes are white, um, and the color of the wine comes from the skin right. 99% of the time, that these wines are made with red grapes where they leave the uh, skin in contact with the juice just for an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, depending on the grape varietal. So really these pink wines um, this time of the year are some of my favorite. And every region of Italy, all 20 regions, there's producers uh, that produce rosato or the pink-colored wines. And do you have a favorite? Because I know from watching your show, and by the way, I happen to love that you stream full episodes um, on the website, which by the way, eatdrinkitaly.org will get you closer to Vic Rallo and your uh, next Italian meal. Uh, The culinary adventures there, I think are wonderful. But I've watched you um, and you talk a lot about um, Sardinia. And I thought it was really interesting, Vic, because you're a Sardinia lover and I was waxing poetic, well, hopefully, about Sardinia recently in a conversation about Botarga. Are there right. Sardinian wines that you think are just uh, leaps and bounds above others? Yeah, so, so I mean, there, there's a winery in uh, Sardinia called Santari. Santari. Uh, they're, they're one of the best producers mm. in, uh, on the island. Nice. And um, they work closely with some other friends of mine that I've met throughout Italy, and uh, they have this uh, one project where they're making wine with the family of Sassicaia. It's called Barua, and this is a a big, big red wine. Mm -hmm. Recently, they introduced a wine called Samas, which is a white wine. It's a blend of Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay, and it's absolutely delicious, perfect for the spring. They, however, do not make a rosé currently. However, Santati does on their own do a rosé out of the local Cannonau and Carignano grapes. So you can drink a Santati wine available in the United States Mm -hmm. in a rosé. On the other side of the island, there's Sella in Mosca, also a a very, very high-end producer um, that makes fantastic wines, also imported to the United States, and they'll also do a rosé of the local indigenous varietals, Carignano or Cannonau. One of my favorites, and... Very, very visible because they're imported by, uh, you know, one of the bigger importers in the United States is Argiola. Argiolas? And, uh, yeah, and they make a beautiful Vermentino. Oh, I love Vermentino. Co- Vermentino is a coastal wine. Yes. So it grows very well in Sardinia. It grows in Liguria, coastal Tuscany. Um, so it's, it, it needs to see. Mm-hmm. And I think when you sp- think about spring and summer, you feel the sea, you know, you feel that salinity in the air, especially when you're down by the ocean. You know, I live close to the ocean. Um, and you want those wines that have that warm daytime kind of sun, and then it cools off, and the, the breeze is from the sea. And Vermentino needs that weather environment to really thrive. And I think Vermentino is one of my favorite go-to uh, white wines for summertime. Yes. Argiolas also makes a, a very nice rosé and excellent, excellent red wine that uh, some of the red wines can age with the best red wines of Italy and the world. Fabulous. So uh, some great producers mm-hmm. on that island. Yes. If, if you can get to Sardinia, it should be on everyone's bucket list. <laughs> and most of the, uh, a lot of the cheese in, in uh, Italy is made on Sardinia because uh, of the abundance in cows and goat, goat and sheep. And uh, it's just a, a marvelous, marvelous place. Okay, cheers to Sardinia, right? Yes. No doubt. They say, they say there, they say, Cent'ani. 
cent'anni. Ah, cent'anni. Okay, I like it. Thank you. We are sharing Italian love, and there is more pasta and wine for all my friends. Back with Vic Rallo in just a moment. We're back and we're dishing on the beauty of Italy, glorious wines, and perfect pasta. Vic Rallo is here, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Okay, let's pair some food and wine, please. Um, sure. Because I know you cook fish and vegetables and game all throughout spring. Um, but let's talk the good stuff because you are a pasta lover, as yes. all, all great Italians should be. Um, and your gnocchi are much yes. talked about. I happen to love gnocchi. There's something right. beautifully pillowy and light and ethereal and heavenly to me about a beautifully made gnocchi. So can you give us just a few tips, teach us the fundamentals of a great gnocchi? Many people make gnocchi with potato. However, it's, you know, I, I will tell you as a chef, they're difficult to make light and pillowy because... Yes. You know, whether you bake the potato or boil the potato, the water content, you know, the, the particular potato you're going to use, and the flour, it's very easy to make a heavy gnocchi with potato. So when I'm talking to the people, my, the, you know, our people that love food and love to eat and want to kind of experience that beauty of gnocchi, how can we do that? So I do, oftentimes, I use regatta or imbastata, which is a drier regatta, so it's still refrigerated regatta, but it has less water content. Mm -hmm. And with that, just mixing some double zero flour and eggs and nutmeg, you can make the most beautiful light regatta gnocchi that you've ever eaten. Mm. Now, it has its limits because I, I wouldn't use it all the time because some dishes call for potato gnocchi. Yes. However, I use it often in the spring. They're, they're beautiful. Yes. Um, they're light and pillowy and you know, I like right this time of season, the tomatoes start to come alive. You start to get arugula in the garden, mm. greens in the garden. So I love to take some tomatoes and roast them at a, a very low oven, 200 degrees, for five or six hours so they dry out. Mm. And then I peel mm. the tomatoes off of the, the baking pan and then a little bit of crushed garlic, a little bit of, you know, really fine olive oil from Sicily, Tuscany, Umbria. Make sure it's extra virgin. Saute the garlic till it browns. Add those tomatoes back in and just toss them lightly. And then maybe take the gnocchi right out of the water after they boil. Put them right in the pan. Save some of that water because the starch from the water helps thicken whatever we're making. The sauce, right. Add, and then I would add some burrata cheese. Oh. So burrata is from the south. And it's, you know, if those of you who haven't had it, it's basically oh. a mozzarella shell with the curd inside. It's, it's cheese from God, Vic. It, That's what it is. God. <laughs> it is. It is the cheese of God, oh, the God of cheese. the best. Eat Drink Italy with Vic Rallo celebrates Italy's authentic food, the people, the history, the wine, and the culture from the Alps to the southern shores of Sicily. And you can find the full episodes of Eat Drink Italy streaming at eatdrinkitaly.org. And you will find Vic Rallo here again next month as we continue to dish. Vic, always a pleasure. Congratulations on the new season. And we'll talk to you next month. Zero kilometer cooking is the topic. 
Thank you very much. Thank and, you. Uh, I can't wait to be back. I look forward to it as well. As the delicious conversation continues, there's more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Don't go away. Another delectable Sunday in your radio. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen here. We're exploring and foraging today, gathering food in the wild. Fascinating, right? Well, Pascal is a professional forager and culinary alchemist, and he was named one of the 25 most influential tastemakers in Los Angeles. The book is visually stunning. It is truly inspiring, and I cannot wait to learn. Congratulations on the book, Pascal, and welcome. Thank you. Yes, of course. Um, This is really extraordinary to me. Um, And I would love if you would give us a little bit of background on foraging and how your childhood in Europe influenced your passion. This is really an an age-old process, but one that you have brought to light and that chefs in Southern California, I know, are thriving on. Yes, I grew up in uh, Belgium. Yes. So I'm a... I have the French accent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. And a and, beautiful uh, one. Thank you. So I, I really grew up in a very, very small town in Belgium, mm. uh, probably 1,200 people. Oh, wow. And it was mostly a farming town. So to be honest, as a youth, I didn't have a lot to do. So I spent most of my time in the forest, uh, wandering the forest. And, uh, you know, as a kid, you basically learn foraging that way. You... You see walnuts, you see hazelnuts, you see all kinds of different plants. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the tradition of foraging was still alive at the time. So, you know, you could get uh, advice and information from elders at the time. Right. Because the older people didn't, you know, were still, still had this knowledge of plants, which has been a little bit forgotten right now. Yes, but you're bringing it back. And as I alluded to, there are chefs in Los Angeles and I know across the country now that are um, are clawing for your findings. Talk to us about foraging. Give us the lowdown, uh, some lessons, if you would, because can we go out in our backyard and look around and, and see what's available and edible? The, the best way to learn, you can learn through books and there are many groups on the Internet but the best way to learn is definitely to go with somebody who know you know the plant because you're really using all your senses. You're talking about smell, touch, you know, look, feel, you know, even flavors. To be honest, mm-hmm. um, it, it's really a fascinating exploration. Um, pretty much where I live, I would say I can use eighty percent of what nature has to offer for culinary use. That's incredible. I'm not just talking about you know plants that you can eat, but you're talking about things that you can use to cook with, barks, you know, leaves, leaves of flavors, you know, even insects, for example. So it's really a fantastic exploration into a wild terroir. Yes, I have heard a wonderful story about you from a chef friend who um, said you have a fascination with ants. You know, it's interesting. Ants <laughs> have actually some uh, uh, fascinating flavors. Uh, some of them don't taste good. 
Right. Uh, but some of them actually taste a little bit like lemon and vinegar. Very interesting flavors. And so you, yeah. go ahead. And you can actually accentuate the flavors by taking those ants and, uh, for example, uh, boiling them or making you know into a sauce that will be composed, for example, of chili and limes. Huh. And you really make little flavor bombs that way. How so they're really tiny but fantastic flavor bombs. Um, and then talk to us about bark. Um, all throughout the book, there are uh, recipes and inspiration and a lot of what you use with the bark uh, is an, an infusion of sorts, right? I use a lot of bark to make beers. Yes. Uh, I did a lot of research. I'm very lucky because I studied Latin <laughs> when I was in school. Yes. So I speak French, I speak Latin, and I speak English. So I'm actually able to go back to very, you know, you can find very old books uh, on the Internet mm-hmm. from the Middle Ages. And I study a lot of those books because they still use wild food at the time. Uh, and you find fascinating beers, for example, that were medicinal or with healing properties, using willow bark, for example, or alder bark, which were used as bittering agents into beer. No matter where you live, there is something beautifully edible, says Pascal Baudard, um, in your area. And you can actually sign up and forage with Pascal on one of his culinary tours. He holds uh, foraging classes, in fact, almost every weekend. Yes, Pascal? Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> that's fabulous. Wonderful. At urbanoutdoorskills.com. Learn more. Urbanoutdoorskills.com. Pascal, I hope you'll come back as you continue to find new and wonderful ants to, to eat and, uh, and infuse, will you please? Yes, absolutely. I look forward to it. Thank you. And again, congratulations. Just a, a really wonderful culinary elevation um, that you're sharing. So thank you. Thank you so much. So I hope that I spiced up your Sunday and that you opened your mind, expanded your palate, and gained delicious knowledge on the wonderful world of food this hour. I hope you'll tune in every Sunday. And of course, if you happen to have missed a show then you can easily find podcasts heard on iTunes, FeedBurner, and Blueberry posted from my website at chefjamie.com. Please do check it out. I'll leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for the weekend. It's five ingredients. It's super simple. And yes, it's cake. I know. Fabulous, right? If you have self-rising flour in your pantry and a container of vanilla ice cream in your freezer, you can make the best buckle cake in 30 minutes. Yes, it is simply made from canola oil, melted vanilla ice cream, self-rising flour, a pinch of salt, and some fresh berries. Could be raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, strawberries. All you do is lightly grease a round baking or a pie pan, um, and then you will simply whisk together the ingredients, scatter the berries over top, and bake until golden brown for about 30 minutes at 375 degrees. Once you spoon it into a bowl and top it with whipped cream, oh yes, dessert is ready. Five ingredients, and you will be a cake hero, and I will post the ingredients and the method on my Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages under Chef Jamie Gwen, and I hope to meet you here next Sunday when the delicious conversation continues. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I hope you continue to eat well. 